Welcome to the Queue for Two, your podcast companion for learning all about your favorite theme park attractions. Whether listening at home or while waiting in the queue, we'll fill you in on all the information you need to get the most out of your ride experience. I'm your host, Matthew, and joining me as always is our resident space ranger, Ryan. Today, we're talking all about one of my favorite rides in Tomorrowland, Space Mountain. Ryan, have you conquered Space Mountain? Oh, I have conquered Space Mountain, my friend. I love this attraction. Space Mountain has always been one of my favorites at Disney World. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. And I want to go ahead and start and say last week we had uh, Space Ranger Spin. Absolutely love that ride. Tomorrowland, hands down, my favorite land in all of Magic Kingdom. Every single ride from the People Mover, people sleep on the People Mover, from the People Mover to Buzz Lightyear, everything is phenomenal. And guess what? We're getting Tron in Tomorrowland. And oh my gosh, I just cannot wait. No, I agree. Tomorrowland is awesome. I think the only one that I might argue is comparable is Frontierland, just because you have like Splash Mountain and Thunder Mountain, which are both like fun rides. But Tomorrowland is just awesome because then you've also got like ones that aren't as ride oriented, but are more like entertainment oriented, like the Laugh Floor or Stitch's Great Escape, Rest in Peace. And Carousel Progress, man. It's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Dude, and that view from the Astro Orbiter, are you kidding? Like, (laughs) it's awesome. So none of that's why we're here. None of it is. Because today we're going to talk all about Disney's Space Mountain. Are you ready to go on an adventure with me? Always. Then let's blast. All right, folks, we're going to start with the official description from Disney. Zoom through the galaxy, dip and careen into the inky blackness as a futuristic soundtrack echoes all around you. Fly past shooting stars and celestial satellites. Roar past streaking orbs of light, wayward comets, and migrant meteors. Feel the pull of gravity as you're drawn into a swirling wormhole. What a freaking description. I will give Disney that. They can kill their descriptions on these rides. Zoom, dip, fly, (laughs) roar. So let's get into what exactly is this ride. So this ride is a roller coaster that was created in 1975, actually originated in Disney World, and consists of two mirrored tracks, Alpha and Omega. Ryan, do you have a preference? Do you actually care which one you go on? I mean, I'll be honest. I really think both wolves, even though they look kind of different, like Alpha and Omega, like I don't really have a preference over oh, one. Gosh. That's, uh, that's a real deep cut, awful <laughs> film reference. But uh, to answer your actual question, Matthew, honestly, I've never really thought about it before. I just kind of go where the cast members tell me to go. I haven't uh, thought about a preference of one track over the other. Got it. I think for me, I didn't realize this because in my head, I always preferred one over the other because I thought, oh, they're that much different. But apparently, and I didn't realize this, they are almost they are identical. Besides that alpha track is slightly longer at 3,196 feet compared to 3,186 feet. So that extra 10 feet is just so that it can cross over the tracks of the other one and then come back into the docking station. They are identical and just mirrored back to back like for each other. So where are you going to go left on one? You'll go right on the other from my understanding. So it's like I didn't never put that together because if you didn't know, this ride is completely in the dark besides some stars on the ceiling. Yeah, I had never thought about if there were differences between the track or not, but I doubt that uh, that 10 feet of difference gives you much more excitement (laughs) in your journey through the stars. Exactly. So with this ride, one thing I always like to say, the required ride height for this ride is 44 inches. 
This is where I found an interesting spot is the max speed. So last time uh, when we talked about seven doors, we talked about the max speed being 34 miles an hour, being one for kids, being a really good roller coaster to put on kids. Ryan, how fast would you say that Space Mountain goes from a max speed perspective? I have absolutely no concept of speed on roller coasters unless it's one that's outdoors and goes fast enough to make it feel like it's ripping your skin off. I'll venture a guess. I'll say maybe max speed you can get on Space Mountain is maybe like high 30s, low 40s. The max speed of Space Mountain is only 28 miles per hour. Oh, wow. Six miles per hour slower than Seven Dwarfs. I didn't realize that. And I'm thinking, wow, it's got to be faster than that. No, that's how they designed it. They intentionally designed it with the use of sudden drops, the enclosed space. And then they also have a number of fans that are constantly blowing on you. And because you're in the dark, you can't see anything. So all of this is to create an illusion of a much faster ride. And I just never really put that together because in my head, it is a speed demon and it is nowhere near a speed demon in today's terms. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because like I definitely didn't think it was as fast as Rock and Roller Coaster, but it definitely feels like it's faster than Splash Mountain and Thunder Mountain. And like maybe it is, but I wouldn't have expected 20s as uh, as top speed. Right. And like you think of a roller coaster, you think of these huge drops and everything, but the steepest drop is only 39 degrees. So again, it's just that dark and closed, everything whips around so quickly that really just increases that ride. So it was such a weird shock for me once I started doing research into this ride that I didn't realize because again, it goes super fast. It's so much fun. And you think, wow, this is almost like kiddie coaster levels. It feels like to some of these numbers of you're like, if this was outside, no one would even blink an eye. But because of how it's designed, it is a must ride every single time. No, for sure. Yeah, that's some of that some of that Disney magic taking you up into up into space instead of just riding around on a on a blank track outside. <laughs> exactly. All right. So each vehicle consists of two rockets, each with three seats with front to back seating and an individual lap bar. And from a location perspective, the entrance and gift shop are both located between Tomorrowland Speedway and the Carousel of Progress. It's actually right next to the location of the Neutron Coaster we talked about earlier, which is set to open in May 2023. So if anyone wants to sponsor a trip for our podcast to go, I would love to go ride that roller coaster on opening weekend. So hit us up in the Discord if you want to fund that trip. <laughs> Anybody with a with a ton of money out there want to just send us on a trip? Let us know. <laughs> so when you said the Tron coaster is going there, is it going behind where like the um the performance stage is in between Space Mountain and Carousel Progress? I believe that is sort of where the walkway is because the performance stage is more on the side of Buzz Lightyear Spin. If I'm not mistaken, oh, the walkway okay. is going to be closer toward um, the actual Space Mountain side. And I believe there's going to be a, a nice like walkway out to where the entrance is, because if I'm not mistaken, Tron is going to be a lot of it's inside a roller coaster. And then there's going to be some parts that are outside as well. So if I remember correctly. Oh, I remember now because when when we were there, I remember seeing the construction and wondering what yep. on earth was going to be happening there. So now I have an answer because <laughs> I was too lazy to look it up for myself. <laughs> so, yeah, that is the new Tron coaster. I would love to do an episode on that after we ride it. I don't like talking about rides I've never ridden, that sort of thing. So, but uh, eventually we'll get out there and ride it. But it does open up May 2023. So they are trying to, they were, I think they were trying to have it finished for like the uh, Disney's 50, but I don't think they end up getting it with COVID and everything causing delays. But anyway, going into a little bit more of the design and the history of this ride. So this design was created by John Hinch alongside of Walt Disney. 
Does that name ring a bell at all? John Hinch. Well, you know, Matthew, now that you mention it, no, it, it does not. <laughs> so I didn't realize who that was either. He's actually known as the official artist for Mickey Mouse. And that's. How, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he's not the only one that's ever drawn Mickey Mouse, of course, but he is known as the official artist for Mickey Mouse way back when early in like the 60s and everything for sure. So he draws animated mice and then dabbles in roller coaster design. <laughs> Apparently. And that's what's so weird because this design actually started in the 60s with Hinch and then Disney having his hand in it a little bit, you know, before he passed away. They had to delay it because they had these ideas that they couldn't do and they had to allow technology to catch up. And so that's like such a weird thing of like you have this like brainchild and you design this and you couldn't even do it because you're so far ahead of like where technology can pull you. That's neat. That's interesting to think about having a having a design ahead of its time. It really brings into the claim of like Tomorrowland, like what originally Tomorrowland was supposed to be and like some of Walt's like original ideas for, you know, Epcot, the city of tomorrow. And it really brings in the sense of like this roller coaster was like the first of its time. One of its claim to fame is that it's the first ever fully computer operated coaster and it was the first ever indoor roller coaster. So it's just like back to back, just bang, bang, bang. Disney is just like they came out and this ride was a, a success, it seemed. Oh, that's wild. I didn't realize that it was the first ever indoor roller coaster either, because I don't know. I feel like that's a at least at Disney, that's a relatively common occurrence now. But that's interesting that it was it was the first. Um, so other interesting history facts that we've got. And uh, one thing that I loved when I read this was that they actually got a stamp of approval from astronaut Gordon Cooper. And his statement was that this ride was about as close as you can safely get to being in space. Wow. <laughs> it's like, obviously, it's like, probably not. But I love the sentiment. Like, this is an actual astronaut that like, actually sponsored. It was like, yeah, this is a decent ride. Like, this feels like you're actually in space, which I thought was a really cool point. The mouse uh, slipped him a couple hundred dollar bills <laughs> under the table. was like, oh, say it's like being in space. Oh, we all love our uh, mighty mouse over here. (laughs) (laughs) So when they created this ride, it cost them upwards of $18 million. How much do you think Walt Disneyland cost them to open way back when? I know I've heard a number for this before, and I don't remember. I'm going to guess, thinking about opening day attractions and such, I'm going to say total for like construction for everything to open on opening day. 30 million. According to the resources that I found, Walt Disneyland took 17 million to open. <laughs> this ride was 18 million. This ride on itself took more than the entire opening that it took for the entire Disneyland. And like, this was a huge risk that Disney took. The ride is still here. The ride is still functioning. It's still one of people's favorite rides today. And it's like, what a, what a, like a risk that they took way back when. And it had completely paid off for them, I would say. Now, Matthew, I got to ask you, and you may not know the answer to this, so I might be putting you on the spot with this question. That $17 million, is that $17 million out of Disney's pocket, or is that $17 million total cost? Because I know that like sponsorship of attractions was a big thing back then, and so I'm wondering if that was $17 million not including money put up by sponsors to make attractions that to Disney were essentially free. That is a great question. I don't know the answer to it. The way that I read it, though, made it seem like that was all that it was that it took to open it. So in my head, I would include sponsorships and everything from it. But yeah, it might be direct Disney's um, 
investment in it. I'm, I'm really not sure. Um, and it also makes you wonder too, like obviously inflation is a thing. Yeah. The time frame was, it's not like it's been 60 years difference. You know, that's a big deal. But it, it was still just an interesting point that I saw of like, because like you said, I figured Disney was like way more a whole land versus one ride. But no, they sunk some money into this ride. Other things that we've got, another location was opened at Disneyland in 1977. There were some slight differences, though. And people, you know, these differences are still there today. So people do have their favorites one way or another. So some of the differences include that the ride car allows for two people sitting side by side in this ride instead of um, one person in front of the other. There's only one track. It is slightly faster, smoother. It was created, you know, more recently than the original at Disney World. And it also has better music compared to some of the just like, you know, the space and eerie sounds that they've got on the one at Disney World. I believe they've actually got an actual soundtrack that they created. So, you know, everyone's got their favorites. Some people like the classics. Some people like the other better. Um, obviously, you know, we've only ridden the one at Disney World, but it does sound like right. um, it is a exhilarating experience if you ever get a chance to go out there and uh, make sure to ride that because it's not the same as what we have at home is what it seems. I would certainly like an opportunity to uh, to ride the other one. And at, at some point, I'm going to make it out there to to do that. Oh, yeah. Again, another trip. Send a queue for two wherever you want to sponsor us. We'll go to Anaheim for you. <laughs> you hear that, listener? You could be our generous benefactor that shovels money at us to go to theme parks. <laughs> so a couple other locations that they did open. They opened a Tokyo, Paris, and Hong Kong location. And we'll get into a little bit more of those uh, here in a minute. But the last piece that I love to include in the history of the ride are incidents. So with the incidents, it's a little tricky with rides like this because they are very quick. Um, there's a lot. It's high thrill ride. So obviously you have a lot of people that, you know, have heart conditions that might not realize it as much. And then, you know, they might have a heart attack on the ride. So that was a lot of what we're seeing is that instances of injury and deaths, but not necessarily. It's not like the ride hit people in a certain way that caused them to you know have a heart attack or anything like that. The other thing about it that I found was interesting with injuries was that apparently early on, people didn't realize it was a roller coaster. So there were accounts that pregnant women got on this ride thinking it was a slow moving, pretty space ride inside, oh, only no. realizing that it was a high thrill roller coaster. So they had to go in and add a video at the start of the uh, ride that basically is like, hey, this is a high action thrill ride. Do not get on this ride if you have any of these conditions. So I, if you think about it, if you didn't realize what it was from the outside, it just looks like a big like circus tent almost you know so it's like i i guess yeah. i can understand it but that's crazy that so many people apparently did this early on and just had no idea what they were getting themselves into that's wild to think about all right so next we're going to get into some fun facts there's actually a couple different ones going all the way you know across the board with this so one thing that we talked about is the queue the queue for this ride you know is it's got some like really nice visuals but nothing as crazy as like seven dwarves but i will say that there is a disney app that has games depending on which rides and attractions you're in, like Soren, for example, has a trivia game that you can play along with other people that are in the queue. So there is a game that you can play that is in this attraction. And so you just play on your phone and it helps you pass the time a little bit because this attraction can have a little bit of a longer line. The structural beams on this ride are actually on the outside of the attraction and they blended it in with the design. 
The reason that they did this was that it allowed the stars and lighting that are on the ceiling of the ride to clearly be displayed so you could see it on the ride. Because the whole thing is that you're riding through this ride, you're seeing space, you're surrounded by lights. If you are surrounded by all the structure more than you already are with the track, you're not going to be able to see as much. Everything's just going to be really dark. And so what they did is they took those structural beams, moved them outside, incorporated it into the design. And it's like I said, it just looks like a big top circus tent almost. But it's such a cool like little thing that you don't quite realize it because, oh, they just designed it like this futuristic space station. But it's like they designed it in a way that optimized the ride. And it was such a little tidbit that, again, it's just Disney magic that you don't even realize is working. Yeah, for real. That's some incredible imagineering to not only be able to enhance the experience in the attraction, but then also create this really iconic look for the ride on the outside as well. So that's awesome. We're going to get into something that I know you're going to love, and I don't know if you've ever heard of this. In Disneyland in 2015, there was a special themed overlay for Space Mountain. It was Star Wars Hyperspace Mountain. How did I not know about Star Wars (laughs) Hyperspace Mountain? I did not either. So this was a temporary theming overlay. It is actually supposed to be the permanent theme for the Paris ride. So if you ever want to go out there, that's going to be your permanent theme. But what they did was they had a special Star Wars themed lore and safety videos in the queue. The launch tunnel included voiceovers of pilots speaking and a projection of stars The car accelerates at the end of the launch tunnel to simulate entering light speed compared to sort of your normal takeoff. John Williams' music from Star Wars plays throughout the duration of the ride. And you also get that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And the last one was a projection is displayed of a journey to the planet Jakku, where the riders encounter TIE fighters and X Wings. So you have this whole different theming that they were able to overlay. And it's what we talked about, you know, with Buzz Lightyear last week is like, I love when they're able to do themes with rides like this. It seems like it's a lot easier than obviously ones that have like huge mechanical pieces like a Buzz Lightyear for re-theming. Now, that's really cool. I would love to experience a Star Wars version (laughs) of this attraction for sure. And I don't think they've ever done it at Disney World from anything that I can speak. Apparently, they do occasionally bring it back to Disneyland for special occasions. I think, you know, when some of the larger movies were coming out, um, they would bring that back out. And I think they would do it, you know, when Galaxy's Edge and, you know, big stuff along those lines, Star Wars related, they'll bring those back out. Other variants that they've done at Disneyland, including a Rockin' Space Mountain, which I believed included like music from like the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And then Hong Kong and Disneyland had Space Mountain Ghost Galaxy which is supposed to be a more eerie, like haunted version that they would do like for like Halloween and like those sort of times of year. Interesting. I had heard of Rock and Space Mountain before, but I hadn't heard of any of the of the other iterations. This is a little bit of a trickier one because we've got the camera. We talked about this with Buzz Lightyear. The camera is always put in a place where you always forget it. The camera on this ride is actually very early in the ride. After you go through the blue flashing tunnel, you'll take a quick turn into the loading room. The camera is on one side of the wall. The trick that I looked at, people always go by, is that if you take the left track, which is alpha, when you get into the queue, then the camera is going to be on the left side of the cart. If you take the right side for omega track, then the camera is going to be on the right side. So either way, your photos always end up turning up really good. But you always want to try and see if you can lean toward the right way so you can, you know, make your funny faces, do anything crazy that you want to do, because it allows you to do stuff without the ride going super fast at that point. Compared to some coasters, you know, they'll take it at the most high intensity, fastest point, And those pictures, 
you can't do anything crazy like you know specific you know what i mean Right. Well, it's like with Rock and Roller Coaster, if I remember correctly, they take the picture at the beginning, but it's at the point where they jet you off Correct. at like one of the <laughs> fastest points the roller coaster goes. And so, yeah, you get some interesting pictures on that if you aren't expecting the camera to flash. Which and I love those photos, but something about the ones on Space Mountain always just make me like really happy when I can remember which side the camera is on, because you can really, like I said, do some you know, funny stuff with like faces, you know, do stuff with your hands, like wave your hands around. And because the way the cars are designed, you have like free motion to like lift your hands. But I will warn you, if you are taller like myself, those tunnels are not super tall and neither are some of those tracks from each other. I don't know how close they actually are, but I know that I can touch like parts of the tunnel um, like when you first are going. So be careful. You know, this is one that you really don't want to put your hands up too high because you might end up snagging a finger or something. I don't know if you would, but I always feel like I do, especially in the dark sections of the ride. That's when I put my hands down during the ride. I always keep my hands close to my body and in the ride vehicle for this <laughs> ride because it worries me. <laughs> they tell you that for a reason, folks. So make sure to listen. All right. So next we're getting into some Easter eggs. There were a few of these. Most of them, obviously, the ride is in the dark and in space. So the Easter eggs are a lot more in the queue. What we talked about earlier that John Hinch helped design the ride, he's actually recognizing the queue. If you look up, there's a place that says his name. It says Captain J. Hinch as like the captain of this, you know, group, the space group that you're boarding with. So I thought that was like a cool little nod of like, this is the person in charge. And it was like his design originally, which I love. There's also a giant logo reading Starport 75. I've seen the logo before, but never really thought anything of it. And it's just the year that the ride was created. So it's like little stuff like that that doesn't break the immersion at all. But like if you know to see it because you think, oh, they just chose a number. You know, it's just Starport 75. Who cares? But it's a little nod like that. That's like, OK, they actually put some time and effort into it. Like we always talk about with the magic of Disney. So I absolutely adore that. And I feel like for numbers specifically, Disney is really big on numbers. If you see a number somewhere that you think it's just random, I think chances are it's not. And it is yep. neat to have that trivia behind it of why that number is there and what the significance was for the Imagineers that built the ride. Correct. Other things that we've got. So you remember way back when they used to have an old moving sidewalk as you left the ride. From my understanding, this sidewalk is no longer functioning. But there is, if you look as you're leaving, there is a panel and the panel says closed sectors. Closed sectors include FL-20K, FL-MTWR, TL-SK2FL, MSU-SB, FL-MMR, and TL-M2M. Brian, tell the people, what are, what are we talking here? What are these random letters and numbers that I'm talking about? So if I remember correctly, Matthew, these are references to the other basically locations for Space Mountain on our Earth. So like basically references to other spaceports that are joint in the same like canon as uh, as Space Mountain. I love it. However, if you look at these letters, it actually represents the rides in Magic Kingdom that are closed currently. FL20K, Fantasyland, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, FLMTW, Oh. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, your favorite X ride that has been here. Mr. Toad. <laughs> We've also got Tomorrowland Skyway to Fantasyland, Main Street USA Swan Boats, Fantasyland Mickey Mouse Review, and Tomorrowland Mission to Mars. 
Wow, that's interesting because I, I have not heard of that one. I heard that there's the reference in the attraction to the other spaceports, but that's so cool that it talks <laughs> about the closed rides in Magic Kingdom. And that was one that I hadn't realized either because like you said, you just think, oh, it's just words, numbers, everything. It's just random, but no. It's nothing random, it feels like, with Disney. They always have something, whether it's a creator has hidden their initials somewhere, a number that means something to them, or it means something to the ride or the IP. You know, there's always going to be something it feels like hidden in the background, and I love it. Rip Mr. Toad. Rip Mr. Toad. Is it the same board that talks about the other locations for Space Mountain, or is that one that's, like, at the beginning of the ride or, like, elsewhere in the ride? I'm not sure. There might be a separate board that's at the front. I didn't see that, but yeah, that's probably at the front. Um, and it's probably a board that, like you were saying, if that's probably the board, were you saying it talks about the other space mountains, like at Disneyland and Hong Kong and everything? It's a board that it essentially references, like, here are the other active stations where you can also oh, take flight okay. from. And it gives like letter and number names for the other stations that coordinate to all of the other locations for Space Mountain. Well, okay. Well, then that's confusion on my part. I thought we were on the same page, but instead we both are bringing something amazing to the (laughs) table. So yeah, so be on the lookout next time y'all go. Uh, I know I definitely am. So those are the board at the beginning and then the board at the end. And they'll all have the little bit of reference. I love it. All right. So next we're going to go into Hidden Mickeys. So there's really only one that I saw, or sorry, two that I saw that were, I think, pretty clear. On the gift shop for the ride, if you go outside, there are three gears that are above like the logo and everything. Those gears obviously bear a striking resemblance to our favorite mouse. At Disneyland, the car, the way that it's set up is obviously two seats, one beside each other. In the middle, there's a speaker. And if you look at the speaker, the way that it is on the speaker is to look like, you know, your Mickey Mouse three concentric circles. That one's a pretty clear, um, but obviously that is just at Disneyland. The other ones that I saw were obviously a little bit more tricky and skeptical. People say that the stars and asteroids that are projected on the ceiling, obviously there are going to be some that are found there. You're going 30 miles an hour, whipping around turns. I don't know how much you can actually confirm it, but like I said, I've had a lot of folks that say, oh yeah, there are three stars on the ceiling that you can see. So take those with a grain of salt. There are probably some hidden there, but I was not able to fully confirm those as you know formal hidden Mickeys, if that makes sense. Cool. <laughs> Gotta love the hidden Mickeys, man. Gotta love it. And like we said, we talk about this every week, but it's like they're tricky to say because it's just circles, you know, for some of them. Some of them are more intense and people always are going to want to see more. And there's no reason to say like, oh, that's not a hidden Mickey. It's like if people want to think it's a hidden Mickey, think about it as a hidden Mickey. Like it doesn't hurt anything to, you know, live your life and love what you're doing. But I always am just like a little bit more skeptical of some of them. It's like, oh, I don't know. some Because I like to think they are all purposely placed when they do it, you know, that sort of thing. So. Yeah, for sure. So tips for this ride to finish this up. The average wait time is actually only 49 minutes. And I would say that is definitely worth the wait. And I think no matter what time of day it is, it's because it's inside. The queue on the outside is a little nasty just from like if you go during the summer months because there's not a lot of shade. And so if the queue does wrap around outside before it does go inside, it can be a little bit like uncomfortable from a heat perspective. But the inside obviously is all inside. Everything's air conditioned and that sort of thing. So it's definitely worth the wait, especially if it's on the inside. And Tomorrowland, like I said, is my favorite park. It's always the park that I start my day with. And so this is one of my favorite rides to rope drop. To go rope drop, meaning when the ropes drop, right as the park opens, you can immediately go to a ride. And usually there's going to be no wait line, especially if you're at the front of the line waiting for the ropes to drop. 
So this is one that we always pretty much take a beeline for. And, you know, we've been on a ride, you know, five, 10 minutes after the park opened, because if you're that quick, if you get there early enough, the line obviously doesn't have time to back up super high. So this is definitely one that I would recommend as being pretty popular. It's a rope drop because a lot of people are going to run off to Seven Dwarves. And for me, this one is head and neck above and just worth going there first thing in the morning. Well, and I know, Matthew, you're pretty serious about the rope dropping stuff. Like you're not afraid to like throw some elbows and like push some people oh, yeah. over to get. <laughs> I am. I am, of course, kidding. Please do not do that sort of thing. And that is not something that either of us do. But of course, you know, uh, walking at a fast uh, speed walking pace to get to your favorite attraction when those ropes drop. I agree with you, Matthew. It's a. A great strategy. Do not run, but, you know, speed walk as fast as possible. Can't have both feet off the ground at the same time. At least one foot on the ground at all times. I think those are the rules of speed walking. So good luck with that. (laughs) Other tips we've got for this. At one point, I will say this was a really funny story that I'll get into slightly. This ride was one of the individual lightning lanes. While my wife and I were at Disney World last, they actually moved it from an individual lightning lane to the just the generic Genie Plus actually while we were at the park. And so that is just one. I don't think they brought it back to the individual lightning lane, meaning that you have to pay for it by itself individually. But I believe it's still in that park tier. So if you can snag a uh, fast pass for Space Mountain, definitely, definitely try to snag it. That is, if my memory serves, one of the rides that we went for a fast pass for at um, Magic Kingdom this last time. Or I keep saying fast pass. It's going to (laughs) happen continuously in these episodes. Listeners, you know what I mean. I know it's not fast pass anymore, but in my heart, Correct. Um, The last tip that I've got is that, and I'm not sure how often this actually happens, but if you ever get the chance to ride it with the lights on, I've seen videos, please ride it with the lights on. It is creepy. There's a metal and wood everywhere. Like it is a marvel of engineering and do that. The other thing about this, and we mentioned the people mover, the people mover cuts through Space Mountain if you're not aware. If the ride is down in Space Mountain and People Mover is still moving, hop on People Mover because there's potential that those lights are on while they're working on the ride. And if so, People Mover's going through it and you get to see it, you know, obviously not on the ride, but you get to see it while you're on the People Mover. So definitely don't sleep on the People Mover, especially if Space Mountain is down because you can hop in, take a look and go from there. But man. That is all I've got for tips and tricks. And Matthew, that is my favorite tip for Space Mountain, because you know, if I am in Tomorrowland and I see that Space Mountain is down, I am getting to the people mover as quick (laughs) as I possibly can. Because I will say it has only happened one time, but I have gone through people mover and I've seen Space Mountain with the lights on. And for all of our listeners, if you want to see that, of course, seeing it in person is a little bit more of an experience, but I do have a video that I took on that trip that I can post on our YouTube channel. So if you are interested in seeing Space Mountain with the lights on from the people mover perspective, go check out our YouTube channel and you can see that video from one of my past trips where I had the good fortune and uh, good timing to be able to to see that little treat. Because like Matthew said, it is nuts seeing it with the lights on because the tracks are just every which way. And honestly, that's the point I think that I decided, all right, I'm never raising my hands on this ride ever for the rest (laughs) of my life because everything with the lights on seems a lot more cramped and close together and does not feel as expansive as the space appears with the lights off. Yep, I definitely agree. Any other stories you've got about your time with Space Mountain? 
So I will say, Matthew, if we have time for it, I do have two other things I'd like to say about Space Mountain. One is a tip. One is a story. And this is not as much about riding the ride. But if you are a theme park souvenir person and you love to get yourself a cool souvenir, the gift shop at the end of Space Mountain slaps. It is the best gift shop, in my opinion, in all of Tomorrowland. And you can get basically any of your good Tomorrowland gear that you are looking for. They have some really cool Tomorrowland Disney pins there that I was not able to find at other locations when I was there this last trip. And my favorite, I love collecting uh, little models of some of the ride vehicles. And I got my own People Mover ride vehicle there um, and was not able to find that anywhere else. So it's a great gift shop. Check it out. And then <laughs> the only story I have from Space Mountain, other than seeing it with the lights on with uh, the people mover, this person will remain nameless. I remember going on Space Mountain and waiting in the queue for an hour with a friend of mine that I actually met up with at Disney World because we just happened to be going at the same time when we were kids. And we were going to go ride this ride by ourselves, but the stipulation was that we had to stick together to be able to go and experience this just by ourselves without parents. Matthew, we waited in that line for a little over an hour. We were two groups away from getting in the ride vehicle and going on the ride. And my friend said, my stomach hurts. I don't want to go. Oh, no. And I couldn't go by myself. So we had to leave. And I was upset. And if you can't tell, I'm still upset about it to this day. <laughs> this sounds like a story that I like panicked because this sounds just like me. I'm the friend. And then I'm like, wait, I haven't been to Disney World with Ryan yet. Like that hasn't happened to me. Oh, gosh, I'm glad that wasn't me. <laughs> so, Matthew, this is a this is a warning when we inevitably go together. Don't don't do me dirty. Like Pepto that. <laughs> is my friend. That's that's fine. That's all. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, that is an awesome story. I absolutely love it. Like I said, this is one of my favorite rides. This is one of my favorite lands in in all the the Disney parks and everything that I've been to. So definitely a ride worth riding. All right. So thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. I'll let Ryan get us out of here in just a second. But I just want to go ahead and give everybody a heads up that the next two episodes will be on our favorite rides in Adventureland. So if that is, you know, your favorite ride, I would love for you to go ahead and give us some comments and give us some heads up of you hope what we're going to talk about, you know, that sort of thing. So we will get into those next time and I will let Ryan get us out of here. Well, Matthew, that cue was certainly a blast. We hope that you enjoyed the episode and learned something new about this interstellar ride. As always, we'd love to hear your experiences with this attraction or any fun facts you have. Feel free to join our Discord server and join the conversation or shout at us on Twitter or Instagram at q for 2 That's at Q-U-E-U-E underscore F-O-R underscore T-W-O at q for 2 You can also drop a comment on our YouTube channel. All of the links can be found in the episode description below. Now go catch that ride and we'll see you in the next q for 2 Three, two, one, blast off. <laughs>